we're in this series called Heroes, and we're looking at David's life. And David has one of these lives that, you know what, David made a lot of mistakes. David made a lot of mistakes. He made some decisions that he should have never made. And, and as a result of that, he had a lot of consequences in his life. But one thing David's life teaches us, it does teach us some things that we shouldn't do, but it also teaches us that even in the midst of his sin, even when he strayed from God, God continually pursued him. And God continually pursued and pressed into David. And, and David was a man after God's own heart, not because he was perfect, not because he was without sin, but he was this man that he, he, he just lived his life in such a way that he acknowledged his sin, he acknowledged his issues, and he wanted to live a life that just honored God. Now today we pick up the story in David's life when he had committed maybe one of his biggest sins or one of the things that, that caused him all kinds of problems and consequences in his life. And it was, it, it was the affair that he had with Bathsheba. And so at the time, Bathsheba was married to Uriah. Uriah was like a commander under David, and, and so he was faithful. And so when Uriah was at ba battle, uh, David sees Bathsheba, sees her bathing on the top of her roof. He, there's an encounter. There's things that go on. And then now we find that Uriah is pregnant. And David is, at, and then you're, I'm sorry, Bathsheba, thank you, whoever that was. <laughs> See, I, I just need to, I need to quit playing. That's what I need to quit doing. And so Bathsheba's pregnant, Uriah's at battle, David comes up with this plan and he tells the guys who, after one thing after another, trying to cover it up, and uh, he sends Uriah into battle and he tells the men, when you get into the front lines, he said, I want you guys to do this, I want you guys to pull back. So Uriah is like killed. And it happened. And then he takes Bathsheba in to be his wife and we're just going to pick up the story there. And so, so David at this point, David thought, you know what? I've covered up my sin. I mean, I, I mean, I've covered, and if anybody could cover up sin, it'd be David, because David was a very powerful king. He was a very popular king. The people loved him uh, after King Saul, especially what they endured under Saul. Now they have David, and so if anybody could cover up sin, it would be, it, it would be David. But the problem is, the Bible tells us. It tells us what it tells us. What is done in darkness will be exposed in the light. The Bible tells us that you and I can never cover up our sin. That your sin and my sin will always find you out. Regardless of how, what extremes you and I go to to try to cover it up, it will always expose you. But see, God loved David way too much to allow him to just stay in his sin. And so God began to press in to David. And so God takes David's close friend, Nathan, and he tells Nathan, he says, I want you to go and I want you to confront David. I want you to have a hard conversation with David. Now listen, this is very difficult for Nathan. This is very difficult for anyone, right? It's very difficult to go have that conversation, to look someone into the eyes and tell them that they have crossed the line and tell them that they have done some things that they shouldn't have done. And see, it was very hard on Nathan because, well, maybe a couple of reasons. He, Nathan could fear death. And the reason he could fear death is is David was the king, and he was involved in this cover-up. And when he confronted the king over this, David could have taken Nathan's life, and it would have been fine, and it would have been legal to keep the, the cover-up. But maybe what Nathan was the most concerned about, death to the relationship. I mean, isn't that a lot of times what keeps us from having those hard conversations with people, whether it's a husband, whether it's a wife, whether it's a friend, whether it's someone we work with, whether it's a child? Isn't it a lot of times that fear? How will they react? How will they respond? How will they handle this? What will the relationship look like long term? 
And so maybe that was David's or Nathan's biggest concern is how will David react? How will he respond? Will this be the end of a relationship? And so today we're going to look at both sides because I believe that there's one side of this is so very rarely talked about in church that just needs to be talked about in church. A lot of times we talk about the one aspect in, in Nathan's case to where, where when you have to confront someone. And what rarely gets talked about is the other side of that when you're like David and someone has to confront you. So today we're going to look at both sides of the coin, if you will. And we're going to look at it from Nathan's perspective, how to handle it, how to deal with it when you've got to have that conversation with someone, when you've got to look someone in the eyes and you've got to talk to them. We're also going to look at it from David's perspective. How do you handle it? How do you deal with it when someone has that conversation with you? So we pick up the story in 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 26. We're just going to read through this story, and we're just going to apply these principles. And so, verse 26, it says, When the wife of Uriah, that would be Bathsheba, heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she lamented over her husband. And when the morning was over, David sent and brought her to his house. And she became his wife and bore him a son. So right now, David thinks the cover-up is complete. It's good. But the problem is, watch this, but the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. What is done in darkness will be exposed in the light. Your sins will always find you out. There's no such thing as a cover-up. And so the Lord sent Nathan to David, and he came to him, and he said, so obviously we'll walk through this whole thing and how Nathan chose his words. Nathan had worked through what he was going to tell David. And so he says, there were two men in a certain city, the one rich and the other was poor, and so, so the Lord sends Nathan to David to confront him, and just like the Lord sometimes sends a believer to you or to me and to have that conversation. But see, this so rarely happens in our society. Why? Because we live in a society that prides itself in tolerance. Because there's no such thing as absolute truth. And my truth is my truth. Your truth can be your truth, but there's nobody that's going to hold me accountable or speak truth into my life. And listen, whenever there is a rebuke, is a, the biblical word, or confrontation, whenever that happens in Scripture, whenever that happens in life, it has to be balanced. You have to be able to speak truth and love, but it also has to have grace. And we're going to see this in Nathan's rebuke, Nathan's confrontation with David. And so it's biblical what the Scripture says. It's biblical all the way through the Old Testament, all the way through the New Testament, that is very, very biblical that believers should have that conversation with one another. So it is not self-righteous, it is not judgmental. Fact is, it is compassionate and is an act of love. When you're just willing to have those conversations, that's why Proverbs 28, 23 says this, whoever rebukes a man will afterward find more favor than he who flatters with his tongue. This is so true in Nathan and David's relationship. It is so interesting how their relation plays out long term. That there comes a time in everyone's life when when they may have blind spots in their life and they need someone to confront them or to speak truth in their life. And this is the example of that. So four questions. If, if you find yourself in that place of life, when you need to have that hard conversation with someone, someone's crossed the line, someone is doing something that is endangering them or their family, there are four questions that you have to ask yourself before moving forward. The first one is this, so important. Am I the right person? Am I the right person to have this conversation? Listen, you and I are not God's referees. That every time we see someone step out of line, cross the line, that we throw the yellow flag and we speak into their life. You have to first make sure that, you know what? Am I the right person? See, here's the interesting thing. 
God didn't call a stranger to go talk to David. God called Nathan his close friend. Nathan and David were close friends. They were such close friends that when you read the story of their life, you find that many times David asked Nathan for advice. And so anyway, what you see is that they, they, they were close friends. They had a relationship. They knew they loved each other. They wanted the best for each other. They were, and that's why sometimes, have you ever found this to be true? Sometimes it's easier for people to confront strangers than close friends. Why? Because it's the same thing Nathan had to deal with. Fear of the relationship. Death of the relationship. How will this end? Scripture teaches when it's done right, there's this depth that, that happens. So if you're, if you're going to go to someone and you're going to confront them, the first thing you have to have, you have to have a relationship with them. And they have to know that you care about them, that you have their best end. You're not there to attack them. Listen, let me tell you something. If you're, if you're, if you're going to them angry, you're not the right person. If you're going there to humiliate them, you're not the right person. If you're going there to, to embarrass them, then you're not the right person. To where you learn to process through your emotions. I mean, if you are looking forward to confronting them, you're not the right person. When you look at Nathan's life, Nathan, that was a hard decision. I mean, this grieved him even to have to go talk to David because David had been caught in this web of deceit and web of lies. Galatians 6.1 in the New Testament tells us about this. as brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual, what, should restore him. That's a, that's a deep Greek word, restore, that means to mend nets, to repair nets. You are to repair him. Uh, physicians use this word restore in the New Testament in, in classical Greek that meant the resetting of a bone. When a bone had been broken... To make useful again. That's what this means. And so you should restore him in a spirit of what? In a spirit of anger? In a spirit to humiliate them? No. In a spirit of what? In a spirit of gentleness. To keep watch on yourselves lest you be tempted. And so the first thing you and I have to ask, if we're going to confront someone, if someone has stepped over the line, we have to decide, we have to answer that question, question am I the right person? The second thing is this, is you have to ask yourself, is this the right place? In other words, is public versus private. You see, Nathan loved David so much that it was private. It was just between the two of them. Nathan didn't take an entourage with him to support him and to back him up. Nathan didn't write an email, uh, didn't send a text message, didn't, didn't put something on Facebook or Twitter or any of that. It wasn't even a phone call. Nathan went and sat down with David and had the hard conversation. Why? So David could look at his eyes and know how much it pained him. So you've got to answer that question. Are you the right person? And is this the right place? Is this private or public? Listen, let me tell you something. If you're going to confront someone and it's public, it is not the right place. It's people that have a relationship. Early in my ministry, and this is many years back, um, I, and just in church leadership in, in a growing church and, and you know what I, I believe in big vision and we have big vision and I believe in goals and values and so you stay on track and you don't drift and all that other stuff but sometimes what is not talked about in leadership whether it's in church or other areas of leadership is sometimes one of the most difficult things when an organization whether it's a church or whatever begins to grow is to how to help them through transition because you never stay the same 
And people don't like change. People don't mind talking about change as long as they don't have to change. And so early on in the ministry, the ministry began to explode. It began to grow. And then something caught me totally off guard. There were some people that were upset with some changes that I'd made. And so they were taking the welcome card or the connect card that we call now. And they were taking where it said prayer request. And they would scratch, scratch prayer request out. And they'd write me a, a note. Not of encouragement. And it was an attack. And it was personal. A lot of emotion. A lot of, a lot of stuff. And they didn't sign their name. And so I said, it, you know what it was for me and for our staff? It's just very paralyzing. What do you do with that? I mean, if you're wrong, you cannot call them up, say, my bad. We crossed the line. We, you know, we, we could have, because we, we should have handled that differently. So you cannot get freedom, and guess what? They cannot, because they've written that message, and they're mad. Or, if you look at the note and say, you know what? They didn't have all the information that we had, because sometimes that happens. And so you can't have a conversation to where you pick up the phone and call them and say, hey, could we just sit down and talk? I think there's some information that you're missing that would really help you through this. And so I made a decision early on in my ministry. You know, if someone writes us a note and they're not proud enough of what they've written to put their name, then we're not going to read it. And so we just shredded them in the front office now. And so I haven't seen one in like 10 years. It's been like awesome. And I'm telling you, before you confront someone, you have to have a relationship with them. You've got to determine, am I really the right person? Is, is this the right place? Private versus public. See, if a preacher is not careful, a preacher can attack individuals from the pulpit. That's what destroys many churches. If a school teacher is not careful, he or she can attack their students from the front of the class. If a leader, a manager is not careful, he can get his whole department in the room and yell at them for being late when it's only one person that's late every day instead of having the hard conversation with the one. See, it's public versus private. I learned this early in my life when I was in the third grade. Had a school teacher, never forget her name, Mrs. Carruthers. Mrs. Carruthers was an interesting lady, and so, so we would watch her in class, and she would drink her perfume. You know, we'd watch her. We'd watch her get it out of her purse. And so, but as we got older, we realized that wasn't perfume. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we just didn't know any better. We like, wow, Mrs. Carruthers, that's kind of strange. And so, so, so we were doing math drills one day where they'd put three. Mrs. Carruthers would, would put three math problems on the board and get three students up. You'd answer the question, and then then if you got it right, you got to sit down. If you got it wrong, you, you had to go again. And you stayed up there till you got it right. So this was probably a day when Miss Carruthers had been drinking a lot of perfume and. <laughs> And so it was my time to go, and we're up. I'm up there with two other people. Uh, I, I get my question wrong. And so two sit down, two come up, and so I get the next question wrong. And Miss Carruthers, because she'd been drinking perfume, got angry. And so one of my friends from the back of the class screamed out and says, Miss Carruthers, that's Charlie. He's a goof-off. He thinks this is funny. And, 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 so some, and so I had a history of some of that, but not this type. And so, so he's messing with you and that type of deal. And so Miss Carruthers pulls out of her desk a paddle. And she lays it on top of the desk. And she says, you get this next one wrong, I'm going to spank you in front of the class. And now the pressure's on, right? I don't do well under pressure. And so I blew the, I blew the, the question. And she gave me three swats in front of the whole class. I still remember the humiliation in front of all my friends, in front of all the classmates. I still, I, I still, I, I can see the classroom just like, so. But there's a lot of people 
that have had that same humiliation. When someone didn't understand the proper way to confront, it's private, it's one-on-one, and they felt the humiliation of that. That's why Jesus said in Matthew chapter 18, when he gave instructions about this, verse 15, he said, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. Between who? Between you and him alone. Don't go telling everybody. Don't put it on the prayer chain at church. Don't ask everybody their advice on how to handle it. Just go talk to him or her. How? Alone. And if he listens, here's that, and you've, you've gained a brother. Listen, I'm telling you, your chance of that meeting being productive, that meeting, that confrontation being healthy, healing, whatever, is greatly enhanced when you keep it between the two of you. And you sit down with them and look them in the eyes. Listen, it takes courage to speak truth one-on-one. That's why a lot of people speak it public, because it's easier. But if you care about that person, you determine, am I the right person? You determine, is it the right place? And then here's one that is just so important. Well, they're all important, but this is really important. Is this the right time? I mean, it, it, timing has everything to do with it. I mean, see, Nathan, here, here's the crazy thing about this. Once it all came out about the affair with Bathsheba, the, the baby, the death of Uriah, once all of that came out, do you realize, Nathan, you can read the timeline for yourself, Nathan waited almost a year before he went and confronted David. Listen, just because there's an offense, an offense doesn't mean there should be an immediate rebuke. It took Nathan a year praying, watching David, thinking about it. I mean, when Nathan went to David, David was in a place where he could hear, he could receive. God had been obviously working on David's life and his heart and everything else. And see, we, we have such a tendency when we're first aware of a problem in someone's life. We want to fix it immediately. I've dealt with that so much in my life. But here's what I've learned. When I've gone to someone in anger, when I've gone to someone in frustration, when it wasn't the right time, most of the time it did not end well. See, when that, when that happens, the relationship becomes the issue instead of the action. And sometimes it's so hard to just to pray and to wait for the par- proper time because if you're not careful, you can push people away from you because they're just not ready. See, and also I think God worked on Nathan's heart because Nathan, when you read this text, and we're going to read what he said to, to David, but Nathan allowed his emotions to settle down and before he confronted David. Okay, so you know how you know when your emotions have settled down before you confront someone? When you deal in facts and not emotions. See, Nathan dealt with the facts. He didn't dealt with the emotion. Nathan didn't sit around with David and say, David, you're a nut. Everybody knows what you've been doing with Bathsheba. Everybody knows what you're hiding. Uh, emotion would say, David, you've embarrassed the whole kingdom. You've embarrassed me. You've embarrassed the whole kingdom. I cannot believe you've acted like this. Our emotion would be, David, King Saul. Remember King Saul? Yeah, we lived under King Saul. Remember King Saul? King Saul, evil king. King Saul, difficult person. David. King Saul didn't even do this. 
King Saul wouldn't have even done this. Or maybe the most hurtful one that's still used today, Nathan, if he had still been dealing with emotions, would have said, David, and you call yourself a, God, a man after God's own heart. You know, how we, you know how we phrase that today? And you call yourself a Christian? You go to church? You go down to that church, and you're maybe in a life group, and you're in ministry, and you do this? Listen, we're all messed up. Every one of us, every one of us does things that we said we would never do or didn't think or whatever. See, emotion just attacks and doesn't deal with facts, but you see that David or Nathan dealt with, with the facts. The fourth question that you have to ask yourself and answer before you confront someone, what is the goal? Is the goal reconciliation? Listen, if the goal is not reconciliation, you are not the right person. If your goal is to sit down with someone to embarrass them, to humiliate them, make them feel worthless, and end the relationship, you are not the right person. See, the goal, what Jesus said in Matthew 18, what, what is lived out here in 2 Samuel, the goal is reconciliation. That's why Proverbs 25, 11 says this, A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. Like a gold ring on an ornament of gold is a wise reprover to a listening ear. In other words, it's the right time to where someone confronts and someone speaks truth into someone's life. And then someone's willing to receive it. There are so many people in life, you know what, they just won't receive anything from anybody. Whether it's their husband, whether it's their wife, whether it's a friend, whether it's, whether, whether it's a close relationship. And they live life cutting people off in, the, in, in, in their life. But you don't see this out of David's life. So here's what Nathan says in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 1. This is what he says as we just move on in the story. And so the Lord sent Nathan to David. He came to him and he said to him, There were two men in a certain city, the one rich, the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, uh, but the poor man had nothing but a little ewe lamb, which he had bought. And he brought it up, and it grew up with him and with his children. It used to eat, eat of his morsels and drink from his cup, and he lie in his arms. And it was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guests who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the, for the man who had come to him. Then David's anger was greatly, greatly kindled against the man he had said, he had, and he had said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man has done this deserves to die, and he shall restore the lamb fourfold, because he has done this thing, because he has no pity. So, so Nathan is, 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 is choosing his words carefully. Verse 7, so Nathan says back to David, You're the man. David, that's you. That guy, Uriah, he was the most faithful commander you had. He did everything you asked him to do. And you took total advantage of him. And thus says the Lord of the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul, and I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms and gave you the house of Israel and of Judah, if this were too little, I would have added so much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword, and you have taken his wife to be your wife, and you have killed him with the sword of the Amorites. Here's the great thing about Nathan and about confrontation. Nathan didn't water it down. He stuck with the facts. 
He didn't say, you know, David, and you're a great guy, and I know that day you're probably just having a bad hair day. You know what? Probably what was going on, you were king, and it was a stressful time, and we can all understand that. You know, you know David, I mean, I know what you did was a bad thing, but, you know, you probably had problems at home. Your wife wasn't meeting your needs. It's really your wife's fault. Some of the same things we say today are, are you know, some deeper things and some other things like, it, David, I know it was, it, was, it, was, it was Bathsheba's fault. And you're just a man and you, you, and you just couldn't say no. Or, you know, you know, David, God's a God of grace. God's a God of forgiveness. It really doesn't matter what you do. He's just going to forgive you. It doesn't matter how you live your life. It doesn't matter the choices. It's just God's a God of grace. God's a God of forgiveness. Nathan didn't do that. Nathan didn't pull back. Nathan stuck to the facts. He spoke the truth, but he spoke the truth in love. And he had the courage to sit down with David and confront and leave the results. Listen, when you confront someone, the results aren't up to you. You leave the results up to God. That's what Nathan did. So three questions that you have to ask yourself if you're going to be like David. When someone comes and has that hard conversation with you and looks you in the eyes, how are you going to respond? Are you going to respond like David or are you going to respond differently that is unhealthy? Three questions that you have to ask yourself because, listen, every one of us has blind spots in our life, right? Every, it was so easy for David to see in the story the blind spot of the other man, and he couldn't see the blind spot in his life. So the first thing, if you're going to be like David and you're going to live a life of accountability, the first thing is this is you're going to have to ask and answer, am I approachable? Are there people in my life that can speak truth in my life that I know that love me and care about me and have my best interest? Because for healing to happen, we have to guard against blind spots. We have to guard against becoming defensive in life. And one thing you can say about David, when someone spoke truth in his life, he didn't cut that relationship off. He didn't quit going to church. He didn't leave all of his Christian friends. He didn't get rid of the relationship. And so every one of us, listen, every one of us needs someone in our life that we know loves us and wants the best for us and then can speak truth into our life. And so the question is, do you have that person? Do you have that person can look you in the eyes and say, you know what, I know you're successful, but you're, some of your decisions, you're crossing the line. I heard, I heard when you were on the cell phone with your wife, I heard how you talk to her. Is everything okay? I heard how you talk to your husband. Is every, what is, I heard how you talk to your children. Are you okay? And I know you're successful. I know you're smart. But I don't even know if I can trust you. Sometimes you tell lies. Sometimes you exaggerate the truth. Is there someone in your life? See, that's why life groups are so important. That's why Acts 2 talks about life groups. So that we come into community with people and we build relationships with people over a long period of time that we know that they love us and care for us. They can speak truth into our life. See, David allowed Nathan to speak into his life. And, and, and David didn't become defensive. Or David didn't become, well, David didn't attack Nathan. And David, David could have. He was king. He was all-powerful. And so David could have looked at Nathan and, and said some of the things that maybe we say today. He says, Nathan, I cannot believe you're judging me. And then take a scripture out of context and, said, context and say, you know what? Do not judge, lest you be judged. Or Nathan. Man, we've been friends for a long time. 
Look at all that I've done for you. I've been king and I've promoted you up. And, and, and I know you and you know me. And David and Nathan, guess what? Your life isn't perfect. I know what you've done. How dare you? How dare you confront me when I know your life and you're not? Listen, none of us are perfect. Or David didn't look and become defensive and say, Nathan, it wasn't my fault. It was her fault. It was my wife's fault. It was the stresses. It was a stress that I was going. You, you try being king. You try dealing with this. Or David didn't say, Nathan, you, you know, I know you know this, but there have been a lot of kings in our time, right? And they've done a lot of evil things. And I'm not as bad as those other kings. Like God grades on a curve, right? Or David could have attacked the process. How many times do we confront someone and they become defensive and so they attack what? They attack how we talk to them or the way in which we talk to them. And David could have looked at Nathan and says, you know what, Nathan, this is totally unfair. You set me up. You told me a sappy story about some guy that took another guy's lamb. See, David didn't do any of that. Man, he just, he just, he admitted his guilt. There's two well, look at this, 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 13. So David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, so here's the grace, it's so cool. The Lord also has put away your sin and you shall not die. Now listen, when you confront, you have to speak the truth in love. And there has to be grace. Isn't this awesome that Nathan looked at him and says, well, guess what, David? God has forgiven you. He's put away your sin. Man, you've admitted it. He has put away your sin. Nevertheless, because of this deed, you have utterly scorned the Lord. In other words, there's consequences to every decision that we make. The Lord who is born to you shall die. In other words, David owned it. He said he sinned. It's obvious that David knows that, that he, he disobeyed God. Uh, Psalm 32, verse 2 uh, says this. There's two Psalms, Psalms 32, Psalm 51, about David's confession and a prayer during this time. Here's a prayer, and he said... He said, Blessed is the man against the Lord. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. In other words, I'm totally forgiven. And in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. In other words, that for, for David, this just for David, this was a relief to him. You're only as sick as your secrets. If you are harboring a secret sin this morning, you know that weight. And you're wondering when it's going to be exposed, when it's going to come out, because you cannot cover up your sin. And so I urge you to call it what it is, confess it. Verse 5, he says, So I acknowledge my sin to you, and I, I did not cover up my iniquity. And I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you. And at a time when you may be found, surely in the rush of great waters, they shall reach him. So if people are going to confront you and you have a healthy life, the first thing is, are you approachable? The second thing is, are you willing to change your behavior? See, David admitted his guilt, admitted what he was, did was wrong. But he also, repentance is this. Repentance is just not sorry you got caught. See, how Nathan knew that David had repented was he didn't go back up on the roof looking for another woman. He didn't, he didn't find another neighbor's wife. He totally changed. 
Psalm 51 is, is just a psalm of a biblical confession. And David writes during this time, verse 1, Have mercy on me, O God. According to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin. Here we go again. So this is so important. So my sin is ever before me. In other words, he thought about his sin all of the time. If you've ever been harboring a secret sin, you know that weight, right? You know that weight of your sin always before me, and you know you're worried about when will it come out, when will it get exposed. And people that harbor secret sins get really paranoid, right? I mean, you can get really paranoid when, you, when you're worried. I mean, you can get so paranoid when someone's harboring a secret sin that, that you can be out and, and there'll be people huddled up talking and, and whatever, and you think they're talking about you. You can go to a football game, and before a play, you know, the players huddle up, and you think, oh, they're huddling up to talk about me because you're just so paranoid. <laughs> See, David says, you know what? My sin is just like always before me. I can't get rid of it. Why? Because there's not confession. There's not repentance. And so he goes on, against you and you only I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth and the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. See, genuine re repentance, just listen to me, when you confront genuine repentance is complete disclosure. It's not talking in vague terms. It's specific it's complete. I mean, it lays everything on the table. Verse 7. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all of my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Watch this. Cast, cast me away, not from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. So here we go. Restore the joy, restore my joy again of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. In other words, what David is saying, God, let's be honest here. This last year, hiding a sin, covering up, I have had no joy. When my sin was before me, I had no joy. I had like no peace. It's been hard to worship. It's been hard to go to church. It's been hard to hang around Christian friends. In other words, Lord, life has been, listen, I'm telling you, when you harbor a secret sin, Life will be miserable. There is no peace in that. There's no freedom in that. But here's the great thing about God's forgiveness. When you study David's life, 57 times in the New Testament, there's 57 verses that reference David's life. Not once does it reference his affair with Bathsheba. That is grace. That is forgiveness. You don't have to live in the junk and the stuff of your past. God did not continually remind David of his sin and continually remind him of what happened with Bathsheba. That was gone. He took his sin and cast it as far as the east is from the west to him. And he didn't remind him of it anymore. That is freedom of life, and that restores the joy. The last question you're going to have to answer if you're going to live life like that, am I willing to accept the consequences? Because, see, when people aren't willing to accept the consequences, there's no true repentance. David was, verse 13, 2 Samuel 12. And so David said to Nathan, I've sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord has put away your sin. You shall not die. Nevertheless, because of this, by this deed, you have utterly scorned the Lord. The child who is born to you shall die. In other words, there was consequences to this. And David prayed for that child. And David loved that child. But you know what? He accepted the consequences. He didn't become bitter. He didn't make life miserable for Bathsheba. He didn't make life miserable for Nathan. He didn't... 
He didn't get angry towards God. He understood about this issue of consequences. And he handled it with dignity and grace. Verse 24, then David confronted his, uh, comforted his wife and Bathsheba went to her. Uh, and he went into her and lay with her. And she bore a son. And he called his name Solomon. Watch this. And the Lord loved him. That's unbelievable. God's grace is good. God did not treat David as his sins deserved. He forgave him. And he gave him new life. And David went on. It's a rare person that can be confronted and press into God and understand that I don't have to live in the junk and the stuff of the past. See, David and Nathan's relationship deepened, just like Proverbs said. Here's a crazy deal. In 1 Chronicles chapter 35, David and Bathsheba have another child. They have a son. And you know who they name him? Nathan. The man that confronted them. The man that spoke truth into their life. It made their relationship deeper when it is handled biblically. My concern is there are some people here this morning that do not have a Nathan in their life. Would you allow this sermon to be the Nathan in your life? And would you respond the way that David did. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes?